scripture reading is found in Galatians chapter 3 into chapter 4. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we may be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we may receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's just uh, pray for a moment again. Father, we love your word and we need your word and we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak from your word to us today. For Christ's sake, amen. This, uh, this fall, we're studying the book of Galatians, which was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to explain and to defend the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus. And today we saw in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4, it says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And when it says here that the son of God was born of a woman, this, this means that the son of God joined the human family. And we see that the reason why he joined our family so that we was so that we could be able to join the family of God. Right, so that God could adopt us as his own children. We see that same thought in verse 26 of chapter 3. It says, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So when, when we trust in Christ, whenever anyone, no matter where they've been, what they've done, whenever anyone turns from uh, living life on their own terms, turns from uh, their sinfulness, and just trust Jesus. 
when, when we trust in Christ, God adopts us. We become his daughters. We become his sons. Now, um, what I want to do today is I just want to tell you three ways that that truth, the truth of your adoption, the truth of the fact, believer, that you are God's child, three ways that truth can just radically change your life. And, and the first is this. As God's children, we all have significance. We all have significance. Now, if you've ever been in, in an airport, you see the, the little sign by the door. It says, this is the VIP lounge, right? This is re re reserved only for very important people. Well, listen, this passage is telling us that in the eyes of God, all of those who have trusted in Christ are of immeasurable importance. We're all very important people. Verse, verse 28 of chapter 3 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male, and, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And these words, this little litany of words here, um, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, th th those were not just words that were used in the first century to describe people. Those, those were words that, that were used to ascribe value to people. So, for example, um, Jews did not value Gentiles. They looked down on them, hated them. Likewise, Gentiles did not value Jews. They, they viewed them with derision. Slaves in the first century were not valued the same way that free people were. Right? And, and, and women had just virtually no status at all in, in this world that was dominated by men. So these were words that were used to kind of rank people in order of importance in the eyes of their society. And, you know, listen, we have ways of, in our society, of ranking people too, right? Order of importance. We rank people by their physical appearance. We rank people by their level of education. We rank people perhaps by their marital status. We rank people by their immigration status. We, we, we rank uh, people by the professional titles that, 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 that they carry. So we have our ways of doing this too. And this is saying, listen, that when you come to Christ, whoever you are in the eyes of the world, you now have so much significance in the eyes of God that all of those other things that could be said about you don't matter at all. I wonder if you've ever gone to a, a field where th uh, there's a youth soccer league going on, a bunch of little sixth graders running around, chasing the ball around the field, right? If you ever go there, take your eyes off the kids for a moment and watch the parents on the sidelines. Watch where their eyes are going. The parents are not tracking with the fastest kid on the field. They are not interested in the strongest kid. They're not all uh, riveted on the most athletic kid. Every parent there is watching who? They're watching their own child. Because to any parent, the most important child in the whole planet is their own child. Believer in Christ, you are God's own child. You have significance to him. And what, listen, why is this? Because you're so great? No. Verse 27 of chapter 3 tells us why. It says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, look at this, have clothed yourself with Christ. You are now clothed with Jesus Christ. So, so other people in the world, 
they, they, other people look at you and they judge you by what they see. Are you good looking? Are you wearing nice clothes? Do you live in a nice house? Do you drive a nice car? People in this world, they look at you and they judge you by what they see. God also, Christian, he looks at you and he judges you by what he sees. But do you know what God sees when he looks at you? He sees Jesus. You have clothed yourself with Christ. So when the God the Father looks at you, believer, you might feel like the most messed up person in the world. But God looks at you and he sees the infinite merit of his son. Theologian would call that imputation, which means that by grace, all of the beauty, all of the dignity, all of the goodness, all of the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to you. You've clothed yourself with Christ. So all of God's children have significance. I guess that what that means is um, a homeless man in the park sleeping on a bench who has trusted in Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you, among the homeless population in New York City, there are thousands of Christian believers. A homeless man in the park sleeping on the bench who has trusted in Jesus has more significance in the eyes of God than the high power corporate lawyer who has not yet trusted Christ. Why? Because that homeless man is not wearing rags. He's clothed in Christ. He's clothed in Jesus. Right? So, listen, believer, when God looks at you, he sees the glory of his son. You have that kind of significance. And I wonder, I wonder what would happen to any of us. Can you imagine if you could look in the mirror and just for 30 seconds see yourself the way God sees you? Imagine how that would change you. Are you like me? I'm, I, I find myself constantly worried about what other people think about me. Anyone else, you struggle with that? Like, oh, what do people think? What are they saying? I think if you saw, had a glimpse of the way you look in the eyes of God, Christian, you would be set free from that forever. That would just be amazing, wouldn't it? And can you imagine, can you imagine if for 30 seconds we could just look around the congregation and see each other the way God sees us? Imagine, imagine the kind of community that would be formed if we saw each other that way. I come from a, a, a fairly large and close extended family. So sometimes I'll travel to my sister's house for Thanksgiving dinner. And we might, it's, it's literally, we might have 40, 45 people in her house for Thanksgiving dinner. It's a big family. And um, among the members of my extended family, we have a handful of people that, at least by our standards, have made it successful in the world. So we have a couple of uh, highly respected surgeons. There's a college president. I have a cousin who made a lot of money in the business world, has a big house. So th in our ex big extended family, there are two or three people who have made it. And then there's the rest of us, <laughs> right? Just normal people, right? But let me tell you something. When we gather together as a family, we sit down around the table together. None of that matters. We don't care who you are. We don't care where you live. We don't listen. We don't care if you have a PhD. We're going to make fun of you like we make fun of everyone else, right? We don't care if you're a surgeon. It's your turn to wash the dishes. And we don't care if you're a skinny, pimply-faced eighth grader. We will listen to what you have to say. Why? Because you're part of the family. 
And I don't want to give you the, the, the uh, impression that I come from a, some perfect family. Believe me, it is not. But it's a decent family. And you know this. Listen, in any, in any decent family, you are not loved because of what you do. You're loved because you belong. Right? And that's the way we're to be in the church. No matter who you are outside these doors, you walk in here, you belong. We're all children of God through faith in Christ. You know, in, in the, the days of the early church, the outside world would look on uh, these little communities of, of men and women who'd gathered together, uh, forming congregations tied together by their common faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the, 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 the outside world would look at the church and just be amazed because they would see in, in almost every congregation there would be masters and slaves who were members of the same church just relating to each other like siblings, eating at the same table, worshiping together. And, and what would amaze the world even more is that frequently when these congregations came to, to choose their leaders, to ordain their elders, they would frequently not choose the master. Very often, slaves were ordained as leaders of the church. In fact, Rome, the Roman Catholics will tell us that the very first bishop of Rome was St. Peter. The second bishop of Rome was St. Paul. The third bishop of Rome was some guy named Linus. Who in the world was Linus? Historians tell us that Linus was a slave. He was, he was a man who in the eyes of the Roman Empire had zero value, but in the eyes of the the family of God was recognized to be someone with spiritual authority, someone to whom God had given spiritual gifts, someone of godly character. So it didn't matter to the church who he was out in the world. They put him in charge. And see, that's, this is what it means that we're God's children. We all have significance. Sec second thing it means is that as, as God's children, we can all have confidence. Verse Verse 6 says, because you are his sons, verse 6 of chapter 4, it says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And uh, that word Abba, you've probably heard this explained before, is that it's an, old, uh, an Aramaic word that means father, uh, but it's not um, a stuffy, formal word, dear father. You'd, you'd probably be better off translating it Papa, right? It's, it's, it's the word that a little child would use when she's sitting in her dad's lap. It's, it's, it's a word of, of close, intimate, warmth, and confidence. Years ago, my family, we lived in Passaic, New Jersey, in a part of town where there's a lot of Orthodox Jewish families, and we actually shared a driveway with our next-door neighbors who were Orthodox Jews, and um, they had a big family, lots of kids, and uh, every evening... The father, Mordecai Schiller was his name. Morty would drive in in his minivan, climb out of his car, and there would be kids running from everywhere, like out of the bushes, around the house, just kids. I didn't know where these kids coming from. He must have been such a good dad. But they would all run towards Morty, and they would be, shout, they would be saying, Abba, Abba, Abba. So this word Abba, listen, this is the word that's used by a six-year-old when she's just about to jump into her daddy's arms. Because you are his sons, God has sent his spirit in, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out 
Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit, Christian, is inside you telling you that you should approach God with that kind of confidence. You just leap into his arms knowing that he'll catch you, knowing that he'll hug you, knowing that he'll kiss you, he will kiss you, he will accept you. That's, that's what it means to understand that you're his child. I wonder if you pray that way. Do you ever think that way when you're praying? I'm just, I'm talking to somebody who, who just loves you. Now, the this strange twist in this uh, passage is that we're told that even though we are to address God using a child's term, Abba, right? Even though we're to address God using a child's term, we're not to think of ourselves as little children in the family, as babies in the family. Middle of verse 1 of chapter 4 says, as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave. You know, like a three-year-old might be your son, but you're not going to give him the keys to the family car. He's not old enough for that yet. He's, 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 he's in the family, but he doesn't have full rights in the family. We are not to think of ourselves as three-year-olds in the family of God. Again, verse 4 and 5 of chapter 4, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, it says that we might receive adoption to sonship. And it's a kind of a, that phrase, adoption to sonship, is a more, kind of a complicated word to translate. You could translate that so that we might receive, listen, the full rights of sons. The full rights. So you, you're to think of yourself as someone who has been adopted into God's family and now you walk into the house, the family home, your head held high saying, I have absolutely every right to be here. My father welcomes me here. You said this kind of confidence before God. That when you come before him, because of what Jesus did for you, you are received, you are welcomed, you are at home. So you see why this is such a powerful concept that we're his children. We all have significance. We can all have confidence. And, and then one final thing. We, we should all have assurance. And, and by that, what do I mean by assurance? I mean assurance of our salvation. Assurance um, that we are heirs of eternal life. Or if I could just be old school with you for a second. Christian, you can be sure you're going to heaven. All right? Verse 7 of chapter 4 says this. So you are no longer a slave. You see that verse seven of chapter four. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Not he will make you, not he might make you. God has made you an heir. Or the, another translation renders this. You are an heir through God. So this is not saying here, you might misunderstand this. This is not saying that if you're good and you behave yourself as a Christian and you don't mess up too many times or you don't mess up too badly, then, then someday God the Father will write your name into his will. And you will inherit heaven. No, this is saying if you have come to Christ, even if you just barely come to him and you're hardly walking with him, if you've trusted in Christ, you are an heir already. Heaven, it could, heaven could no more be yours right now than if you were there already. It's yours. God has saved you. 
So this is not describing your inheritance to, uh, in Christ as some kind of future possibility that's contingent upon your good behavior. No, your inheritance is a future reality that is confirmed already in the present because of a promise God has made. Since you are his children, God has made you an heir. Martin Luther, the reformer, in his commentary on Galatians, writing on this verse, he says, being heirs, we are delivered from death, sin, and the devil. And we have righteousness and eternal life. So our, our adoption as God's children, can you just give us this assurance? Listen, Christian, you're in the family now. You're in the family now. You don't have to be afraid that if you spill your milk, your father's going to be mad and kick you out. You're in the family now. Romans 5 verse 10 says this. If while we were God's enemies, you know, you were God's enemy before you came to Christ. So was I. We were all that. It says if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I think if we wanted to write a corollary statement to that, we, we might put it this way. If while we were God's enemies, he adopted us as his children and brought us into the living room. How much more now that we are his beloved daughters and sons, can we be absolutely sure? He will never stop loving us. Years, years ago, I was listening to a radio program. You ever hear um, Terry Gross on N NPR? Great interviewer. And so she was interviewing uh, people, and she says, for my next guest, I'm going to interview the father of the notorious serial killer, Jeffrey Dahmer. And my ears perked up because I'd heard of Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know if you have. He's a guy who just did, killed uh, a lot of people, all right, and, and did unspeakably horrible things to his victims. I mean, just a monster of, of a person. And I hear that they're going to interview this serial killer's father. And I have to confess to you that my instinctive thought was not a good one. My instinctive thought was to judge that man and think, I bet this guy is a creep. I mean, what kind of parent would produce a child like that, right? But as I listened to him, I quickly realized I needed to repent of that attitude because they, 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 she talked with him and asked him questions. He just seemed like such a, a, a loving father, a good husband, a decent man. He'd done everything he was supposed to do. And, 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 uh, and I began to sort of feel for him because he, he described the intense grief that he and his wife felt. That they had no idea this was happening, but when they learned the kind of man that their son the little boy, you know, had grown up to be this just intense grief. And then he talked about the shame that their son's actions had brought upon the family. You see, they lived in a little town in Ohio, and, and, and they couldn't, basically couldn't leave the house anymore. Anytime they'd go to the store, people were pointing and gossiping, and they lost all their friends. They lost all their community. All this pain came into their life because of their child. And uh, so it was not a happy interview, right? But... Uh, at the very end, it almost seemed like an afterthought because she's already sort of thanked him for being on the program. But it's just like an afterthought. Terry Gross says, um, Mr. Dahmer, before you go, can I ask you just one more question? I will never forget that man's answer. 
And, and not so much because of what he said, but the speed with which he answered. Like he didn't, he didn't have to think twice. He didn't have to, you know, qualify his words. He didn't have to ponder. It's just like this came from his heart. She said, Mr. Dahmer, have, can I ask you one last question? Do you still love Jeffrey? He said, of course I love him. I'm his father. Let me, Chris, let me tell you how that hit me. Um, if a finite, limited, earthly father cannot stop loving his son, the serial killer, believer in Christ, do you really think that your perfectly gracious heavenly father could even for a second stop loving you? He will never, ever, ever stop loving you. See, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. He has given the inheritance that rightfully belonged to Jesus to you. So isn't this just so amazing, God? Because of Christ and because of God's love, all of us, we have this immeasurable significance and we have this unstoppable confidence and we, and we have this assurance. We're his children. Now, just in closing, I've been mainly talking to believers, those of you who have come to Christ in faith, and I just want to quickly say to anyone here who perhaps has not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior, and it might be that we all here think you're a Christian because it's not hard to fit in, but you know in your heart you've never yet really turned to him and trusted. So my, if I could just say to anyone who's not yet believing, friend, the kitchen light is on. The table has been set. All of us kids are gathered around. A feast has been prepared. And let me tell you, the mashed potatoes and gravy smell so good. And we are noticing that there is still an empty chair for you. Why don't you come in and join the family? The Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 12 says, to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, God gives the right to be called children of God. If you would receive Jesus, you would have the right to be called his children and come in to the table. Come into the family. You are invited. Let's pray together. We cannot comprehend your love for us, Father, but we are so grateful. As we come now to feast at the table, remind us that your love is true. Fill our hearts with joy.